Well, good morning, Bethel Church Crown Point. It's been a long time since I've seen some of you. And uh, some of you acknowledge that, like, Brad, where have you been? Are you still on staff here? What's going on? Where have they been keeping you? The answer is right there. Uh, I've been, uh, had the privilege, not in exile, had the privilege to go and basically been giving leadership to our Hobart Portage campus to help that get established. And when I haven't been there, I've also been down at the Gary campus for a couple weeks, just again, helping that campus kind of get up and running. You know, we've launched these two campuses really in the span of uh, just a couple months. And uh, it's been exciting for me to just be down there and helping to build and establish ministry in those locations. Of course, the drawback of that is I don't get to be here with all of you. So it's a privilege for me to be here uh, this weekend. And uh, maybe then again, you'll see me sometime before Christmas, hopefully, uh, as I am working in this, in this place here. You know, I just want to give you a report. Those two campuses, our Gary campus and our Hobart Portage campus, are just, I think, for me personally, exceeding expectations in, in many different ways. You know, our Gary campus, we're currently averaging about 175 people in attendance there. To put that in perspective, we sent about no more than 75 people down there as a launch team, which means that we have reached well over 100 people in the community who are regularly attending that campus. And uh, there's just a real sense of community that's developing there, a real sense of, I think, um, a, a, a real positive vibe in the city of Gary about that work. And it's just exciting to see what uh, the Lord is doing there. The sky is truly the limit, I think. And in a Hobart Portage campus, you know, we're averaging about 300 people there on a weekend. Uh, and it's just been so delightful to me to see these two congregations come, come together, Bethel Church and Central Baptist Church. I have to say the folks that have joined our church from Central Baptist are just fantastic. I think almost every one of them has stuck around and are so involved and active in ministry and is building this new campus. And the Bethel folks who have been coming over there have just really started to connect with those people. And it's just wonderful to see just the gospel um, being lived out in the unification of these two churches and uh, the work that God is doing there. And uh, we're beginning ready to do some major work at the Hobart Portage campus. You see it as you see it now in the, in the auditorium there where renovations are actually just beginning this week. And that auditorium is going to somewhat be converted to look more similar to our Crown Point auditorium. We're doing work all, actually all throughout the building to uh, increase uh, capacity and uh, uh, capability for our kids' ministry there. And uh, it's just a, a great work we believe that God is, God is doing. You, of course, are welcome to... Pop on over and attend, visit, or even just decide to maybe uh, regularly join one of these campuses if you feel that that would be uh, the best fit for you. Uh, just a word of warning, I'll be preaching the same message I'm preaching now at Hobart Portage next weekend. So unless you really like the message, hold off one week from going to Hobart Portage next weekend. But we would certainly invite all of you, uh, if, if one of these campuses would serve you better to make that campus your, your church home, you would be most welcome. All right, well, this week we are beginning our four-week series on the subject of prayer, and it is indisputable that prayer ought to be a pillar in God's church. In fact, it is one of our core values here at Bethel Church, along with uh, scripture and fellowship and mission, and a genuine prayer life ought to be a central component of every Christian's life. It's one of the most fundamental ways that we live out and express our faith. It is one of the most spiritually enriching things that we can do is to pray. And prayer is clearly also one of the most prominent subjects we see in Scripture. There are thousands of verses throughout Scripture that either direct prayer, address prayer directly or indirectly. And I can show you hundreds of examples of robust prayers found in the Bible. Of course, the strongest collection of these is in the book of Psalms, where almost every one of those Psalms is in a form of prayer. But you look through Scripture, and, and so many godly people in Scripture demonstrate having an active prayer life. And scripture records extended prayers from so many people, including Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Deborah, Gideon, Samuel, David, Solomon, Elijah, 
Hezekiah, Nehemiah, Job, of course, Jesus himself, James, Peter, John, a host of other New Testament characters. Prayer is everywhere throughout Scripture, and God's people are constantly seen praying in God's Word, which ought to lead us to conclude that prayer ought to be also everywhere in our church. It ought to be everywhere in our own lives as well. But what exactly is prayer, really? I mean, prayer takes all sorts of forms and focuses. It is expressed with all kinds of different moods, from joy and elation to sadness and sorrow, anger, frustration, earnestness. But what is prayer in its, ens- in its essence? What is prayer exactly? Well, simply put, prayer is, is just this. It's, it's personal communication with God. That's it. Personal communication with God. Forward definition. That's what prayer is. So anytime you are personally communicating with God, that's prayer. So prayer can be spoken words. It can be silent thoughts uttered to the Lord. It can be things that are sung, things that are chanted, things that are wrapped. Emotions that are grown to the Lord without really articulate words or even just silence. Communicating with the Lord and listening to listening for his voice and in the weeks ahead We're going to talk about some of the forms and focuses of prayer and offer some practical helps for how you can cultivate a more vibrant prayer life But my task today is not to explain how necessarily we pray, but why we pray Why is prayer important? Why does God place such an emphasis of on prayer in his word? Why do godly people always seem to have a life of prayer? Why are we as Christians instructed to have prayer be such a primary focus in our lives and of our time? And, and especially if God is really in control of all things, and why even should we pray? Why should we pray? If God's will is always done, what's the point? Why should we pray? Well, I have five answers to these questions, one of which I'm just kind of just going to touch on because we're going to spend a full uh, message here in the coming weeks on one of these points because it's so important. But the four others I'm going to develop more fully in hopes that ultimately we'll understand better the reasons why we should pray, and because of that, then we'll feel motivated to make prayer a more active and larger focus in our lives. Because in truth, when we, meaning the pastors, the leaders, the elders of Bethel, when we sometimes step back and we look at our church and we evaluate Bethel, and we evaluate our strengths and weaknesses, which we often do, is we typically conclude that prayer is probably it's not one of our strongest areas as a church, just speaking honestly. We know it is certainly an area that we can become better at, both corporately and individually. And I hope that the message today will give you some motivational reasons for us to more fully cultivate this important spiritual discipline of prayer in our own lives and also here in the culture of our church. So five reasons why we should pray. First reason is this. Simply put, prayer is an act of obedience. Prayer is an act of obedience. See, all through God's word, we are commanded to pray. First Chronicles 16.11, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Psalm 32.6, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. 1 Timothy 2, 8, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Repeatedly, God's people are exhorted to pray, to seek God, to commune with him. And notice the emphasis of frequency on these passages that I've read. They say we're to be constant in prayer, to be steadfast in prayer, to pray without ceasing. 
God's people are to pray, and these prayers ought to be a regular, daily, hourly rhythm of our lives. Prayer is not just the occasional thing we do when we feel we have a need for it. It's not just something we do when we gather for corporate worship services like this, or go to a small group, or something you do before dinner or bedtime. Prayer is something we're commanded to do and to do with great frequency. It is simply God's expectation that Christians will be people who regularly, personally communicate with him. Of course, Jesus himself modeled this discipline of prayer. We see in Matthew 14, 23, and after he, Jesus, dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Or Mark 1, 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus, being the perfect representation of mature humanity, had prayer as a central focus of his life. And even though there were so many other things vying for his time and, and for his attention, prayer was something he prioritized, in part because he knew it was something that God expected of him, something that God commanded him to do. So prayer is an act of obedience. And we ought to pray just simply because God has commanded us to do it. Which means if you don't personally communicate with God very much, it means that you're, you're disobeying his word. It's something there you need to repent of. There's an area of your life that you need to be motivated to improve simply because you're just commanded to do that. Prayer is an opportunity for believers, but it is also an obligation. The simple fact that we're commanded to pray, that should be motive enough for us to do it. But let's be honest. You're not going to have a vibrant prayer life if your only motivation is out of guilt or obligation. Like, I'm doing this because I kind of have to, because God told me to, kind of sentiment. I would argue praying out of a motive of obligation is certainly better than not praying at all. For example, there are certain aspects of my responsibilities here at the church that I'm really not that thrilled to do, but I have to do them. They're part of my duty, part of my obligation. I have to fill out these expense reports and make other kind of forms and submissions of things. And sometimes some of you send me little wacky emails and I'm like, oh boy, I got to respond to this. Uh, but uh, that's my responsibility, and so I do it sometimes whether I want to or not. I just can't neglect those responsibilities because I don't have a heart for them. And you don't get to neglect prayer just because it's not something that you in this moment don't want to do. It's your obligation as a Christian to pray. You are commanded to do it. But if your only motivation to pray is, well, I have to do this because it's my duty, you're not going to have a vibrant prayer life that's the only thing that's driving you. It certainly won't be a joyful experience for you. And here is where the other reasons then why we should pray become so helpful, because they motivate us and fuel us towards prayer in a way that just a sense of guilt and obligation never can. So here's a second reason why prayer is important. Prayer is an expression of worship. It's an expression of worship. Now, worship is essentially a response to who God is and what God has done. Often, worship can be an action. Like the giving of tithes and offerings, that is an act of worship. But worship often involves saying things to God about how he is glorious and great. It is speaking to him and declaring to him the goodness and the glories of God. And in that sense, worship then is a type of prayer. We all know that God's people are expected to worship and praise God. Some verses to this. Psalm seven seventeen. I will give... I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. 
Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. God's people ought to continually praise and worship God for who he is and what he has done. And prayer is one way that we do that. Prayer is an, ex- is an expression of worship as we declare the goodness and the glories of God. And don't you, don't you want to thank God for who he is and what he's done? I mean, when you think of how great and glorious and mighty and powerful and wise and sovereign and creative and merciful and loving God is, don't you just want to praise him for those things? You should. Like me as a parent, as I look at my children growing up and they are learning things at school and I observe them treating other children kindly or they're working hard to learn how to play play the piano and I see that growth in their life with those wonderful things, don't I just want to, I should just instinctively want to praise them for them. Like this week, it was Halloween, and it was the most wretched weather for Halloween I've ever seen in my entire life. It was negative 50 degrees out, wind chill, like this 80 mile per hour wind, and like little bits of hail and ice were just like shooting into my face. And I came home and I thought, okay, they might not even want to go out, but of course they were dressed, they were ready to go. And I thought, okay, this is going to last two minutes. We're going to make it down like two houses and they're going to come. Because I have an eight and a six-year-old daughters that were going out, you know, and and they tend to not necessarily be that tough about uncomfortable things. But uh, we got out there and they just went like they had no end to their energy and they were laughing and smiling and this hail was flying and getting stuck in their hair and I'm like, who are you? (laughs) Their lust for candy just like fueled them on. I thought, man, if only you had this zeal to clean up around the house. (laughs) And we came home and we were kind of like thawing out and I just felt this compulsion. I gotta praise them for how they were just so tough. Usually they're kind of wimpy, all right? But they just like toughed it out. And I was so proud and thankful and wanted to praise them for that as a parent, to see that, uh, that, that positive thing within them. We have, hopefully within us, that compulsion to praise things that are good and things that are, are worthy, especially when we think of who God is and what he has done for us. We should have this holy compulsion within us to want to praise him for that. And prayer is a way that you do it. Specifically, prayer that takes the form of thankful, God-exalting worship. But worship is not just expressing, um, expressed through music and words and song. We can also worship God through our heart, heart posture, through our attitude towards Him as we demonstrate a posture of humility, of submission, of dependence on our King. And how do we demonstrate humility and submission and dependence on God through through prayer, we do it as we ask him to bless us, as we plead with him to help us by turning to Christ and leaning on him to provide for our needs by laying our burdens and our trials before him. And in, when we do that, when we say, it's not my will, but your will be done, coming to God with our requests and needs, they demonstrate a posture of submission and trust. And that is worship. Why? Because when we do that, we say those things, the mere fact of just Asking God for help, it is implicitly saying, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need your help. My efforts are insufficient. Help me, God, in a way that only that you can. And by requesting help through prayer, we're acknowledging that God has all the power and that we do not. 
We're saying, I acknowledge that you have the ability and the power to make this happen. I affirm that you are wise and that you are sovereign and that you are in control. And I'm trusting you to do what is good and what is right. I'm trusting you, not my own self, my own ability. I'm trusting you to meet my every needs. And my friends, that is worship. We express to God a posture of humility and submission and trust and dependence as we cast all of our cares upon him. So prayer is an, ex- is an expression of worship. First, as we declare the goodness and the glories of God, we praise him for who he is and what he has done. And also as we demonstrate our submission and trust in him. As we come humbly and cast our cares upon, upon the Lord. Of course, we see both of these things as we look to Jesus' own model for prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here we see both of these aspects of worship as prayer is worship in this Lord's Prayer. Jesus begins by extolling the virtues and the, and the glories of God. He affirms that God's in heaven, that his name is hallowed, is to be revered, that he is unchallengeable in his sovereignty and his might. Your will be done on earth as it is always done in heaven. But then requests are made, showing a posture of dependence and submission. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, Forgive us of our sins. Help us with temptation. Requests are made to God for help in these areas. So the pattern is first praising God for his greatness and then expressing dependence and then posture of humility with our requests, both of which are forms of worship that are expressed through prayer. So what's another reason why we pray? Prayer is a way that we worship God. As we communicate to him personally the ways that he is glorious and great, and as we communicate to him our need and our dependence upon him. That's another reason why we pray. And here's a third reason. Prayer cultivates a close connection with God. Cultivates a close connection with God. Essentially, prayer is one of the most fundamental ways that we draw close to God. As we communicate with God through prayer, it builds our connection with him. It grows our relationship. It builds intimacy between us in Christ. Second Chronicles 15:2 alludes to this when it says, "The Lord is with you while you are near, while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you." Or James 4:8, "Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you." And this is just true for any relationship, right? As we sit, we talk, and we share with somebody, that, that just builds our relationship with them, right? Communication builds relationships. My, my wife and I just had the privilege just uh, last month to go to Cancun, Mexico for a 10th year anniversary trip. And we stayed at this all-inclusive resort that was truly probably just one of the nicest, most luxurious things I've ever done. It was just fantastic to get away. I wish it was about a month later so we could miss some of this weather now, but uh, it was wonderful to just be away and, and truly just to spend time together as a couple and to sit and have meals and to sit and talk without anybody else talking to our ear about how they needed us to cut up their food. Uh, or to just kind of hang out at the resort and just spend time connecting as a couple, talking about some wonderful things, some future things, some difficult things, and and just working through some stuff as, as a couple. It's just tremendous to do that and see how that blessed us without any kids in the background fighting or asking for our help. That communication, just that uninterrupted focused time with people, um, it builds relationships. It connects us with others. And this is one of the greatest reasons for prayer. As we communicate with God through prayer, it connects us to him. And this purpose behind prayer, it's so significant that we're going to spend an entire message focusing on this one point here. So I'm not going to spend really much more time this morning to dig into this other than just say this. 
that if you don't feel spiritually alive or connected to God in an intimate, personal way, it's certainly partially, perhaps largely due to the fact that you don't pray as you ought. It's pretty much a one-to-one correlation. People who are relationally close to God pray, and people who are far away from him don't. And so if you want to feel more spiritually alive and connected to God, the the solution is simple. Pray. Take time to pray. Just like any relationship, we need to set aside time to connect and to communicate, to build that relationship. Relationship with God needs set time for you to cultivate it through prayer. Neglect prayer, and you will be spiritually dry as a Christian. So one massive reason why we pray is that it cultivates a close connection with God. Now, prayer is often hard, isn't it? It takes work. This is especially true when it seems that the things in our life are moving along just fine, and the bills are being paid, and the relationships are going well, and the kids are good, and the job's rewarding, your health is fine, you're accomplishing important goals and tasks. But then you hit a speed bump in life, and you face an acute or sudden tragedy. You enter into some kind of season of real hardship. Some of you are certainly in that season right now. And during those seasons, now prayer comes a bit more easily, doesn't it? It comes a lot more easily. All of a sudden, when times get tough, we start looking for help. And during those seasons of hardship or suffering or adversity or trial, we we suddenly find ourselves in great need. And then we often and rightly begin turning to God in prayer. Especially when we feel that that hardship is something so big that we just need God's help with it. And how many of you, you, when you face a real hardship, have now suddenly found yourself, well, I'm praying more. More attuned and seeking God more and His help. It's just something fundamentally that we do when we feel that need. And then this then is a fourth reason why we should pray. A fourth reason is this prayer is a comfort and a help when we face hardship. It's a comfort and a help when we face hardship. Our God is a gracious, compassionate, merciful, and kind God. He wants to meet with His people and help them and their sufferings and needs. Communicating with God through prayer is one way that he he comforts and he helps us in our trials. God invites us to do this. Psalm 10, 17. Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Or Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of needs. The Lord wants his suffering and heaven-laden people to turn to them, turn to him as their source of help. He's not, he's not some cold-hearted deity that's distant, that do, who lacks compassion for his people. He is immediately present to help them in their Hardship, And notice the way he does so in some of these verses. First, he hears them. Psalm 10 says, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Psalm 145 says he hears their cry. God is attentive to the pleas and the, and the prayers of his people. Not one utterance that you make to him goes unheard. Not one cry goes unnoticed by God. He is attentive to the prayers and the pleas of his people. And he is also close to them in, his heart, in their hardship. Hebrews describes the way that we can draw near to the throne of grace, that we can, we can approach God personally in our times of need. And 
that he comes close to us. Remember James 4 eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And we also see the, that the Lord helps his people in their hardships. The verses I've read, they say that he strengthens their hearts, he fulfills their desires, he saves them, he, also, he offers mercy and grace to help them in their time of need. God hears and he comes close and he helps his people when we pray to him. This is especially true in times of hardship and suffering and adversity. And this is why we ought to pray during these times. Prayer is a comfort. It is a help when you face hardship. Many of you have known this personally yourself. It's so helpful to know and comforting to know that when you're suffering, that God sees and hears your every cry. Isn't it? When you're at the end of your rope and you are struggling to find hope, how helpful and comforting is it to know that God is all-powerful and that he is greater than any trial or any hardship that you or I could ever face. We all have burdens and hardships in our life. I certainly have some. Got some really heavy ones right now, just with some dysfunction in my extended family. And those burdens, they continue. But how good is it for me to know that God hears me when I cry out to him for whatever trial I face and that he is sufficient to help me through whatever is before me? Now, granted, he sometimes doesn't help us out the way that we want, right? Sometimes the physical healing doesn't come, or the relationship is not restored, or the financial burden, and it doesn't pass easily. But God always helps. He always helps because he always listens. He is always a comforting sounding board to us. As we personally communicate to him our pains and needs, how helpful is it to know that in God we have a wise counselor who never tires to hear our desires and our distress, who never loses patience with our cries, who is never overwhelmed or confused by the situation that we face, and who provides to us a quiet comfort through his word and through his spirit that ministers peace into our souls as we pray to him. And God does something to calm and to quiet and to soothe our hearts when we pray to him. I I can't explain exactly what he does, but there is some supernatural work of the Spirit that happens in our hearts when we pray. When we ask God to help us, he does. Not always in the way that we specifically ask, because he's got a larger view in mind, and sometimes what we think is right is not what God knows is best. But he always draws near to us in a relational sense when we pray. And that allows us to experience sweet intimacy with him. And that intimacy is so particularly helpful, especially during times of real hardship and distress. In fact, this is one of the great fruits that comes from hardship. It causes us to pray. It helps us to draw near to God. And why does God permit his faithful people to suffer? There are all sorts of reasons for this. Time does not permit me to get into all of them, but one of them is that God sometimes wants his people to be broken. Not because God delights in seeing his people broken. He doesn't. But because he knows that that brokenness causes people to draw close to him. You see, hardship sometimes gets our spiritual attention. I can't exactly say all the reasons why perhaps God has brought particular hardships into your life, but one reason those hardships might have come is that it should cause you to pray. It should cause you to relationally connect with God. That hardship is is one way that God gets your attention and says, I'm here. Don't forget about me. Hopefully this trial will help you experience what a real connection and, and, and communication with me looks like. So one reason why we pray is that it is a comfort 
It is a help when we face hardship and suffering. And one reason why we face hardship is because God wants us to pray. Hardships are one way that he helps us to do that. So that's a fourth reason why we pray, is a comfort and a help to us. And here is the fifth and final one. It is this. Prayer has great power for change. Prayer has great power for change. Now this reason for prayer is certainly the most theologically complicated one for me to address. Because prayer is, in many ways, just kind of a straightforward thing. It's personal communication with God. But prayer is also very mysterious. There are some difficult questions that surround prayer, particularly uh, relating to the impact, the specific impact that prayer has. And we often struggle to answer these questions. And uh, How does prayer produce change? I mean, if God is really in control of everything and he's going to do whatever he's going to do, he's got to do what he wants, then why should I pray? Or, or if I can somehow alter the course of world events or my own health through prayer, then how is God really still in control? And there's a range of answers to this question, a continuum of sorts, with one extreme saying that prayer can change anything, and the other extreme saying that prayer doesn't change anything at all. And we err if we drift to either one of these extremes. The truth is somewhere in the middle. And so on, on one extreme, what you have is this view that prayer, when we think about the power and the impact of prayer, we must not think that we get whatever we want if we just pray hard enough. And this view is definitely out there. Where people pray the same prayer over and over and over and over again, pleading with God to fill the request, and quietly underneath the surface, there's this belief that if I just pray hard enough, if I just pray long enough, if I just pray earnestly enough, passionately enough, eventually I'll get to a point that it forces God to act and do what I want. In other words, now prayer becomes a means by which we manipulate God, and if we don't get what we want, it's simply because we didn't pray hard enough. That sickness would have been healed if I had just had more faith, if I had just prayed more. Or that situation would have worked out better if I had just prayed about it more. Or that person wouldn't have died if I had just prayed harder. And that is such a terrible and enslaving view to have about prayer. It creates so much guilt. It's so much pressure. It all depends on me. It all depends on my prayers. And if it doesn't turn out how I want it to turn out, I bear full responsibility for that because I could have prayed more. Just didn't pray hard enough. That view also completely violates the sovereignty of God. It makes God now a puppet who we kind of control with our prayers. And by praying hard enough, now God has to move and he has to do what we've asked him to do. And have you ever been inclined to think of this, of prayer in this way? I think we often do. Subtly, we think, oh, oh, this is bad. I really, really need to pray hard to make this happen. If I don't pray on this, man, everything's going to fall apart. Listen, it's wrong-headed thinking to believe that the outcome of our lives is ultimately dependent upon our prayer. Sometimes we place too much emphasis, too much power in our prayers. But the opposite is also true. Sometimes we err on the other extreme. We feel that our prayers don't matter at all. I mean, God's going to do what he's going to do, no matter if I pray or not. So, so why should I pray? God's got his will. I'm not changing that. After, after all, we're told, not my will, but yours be done. So what's the point? I mean, prayer may impact my heart. It may connect me with God relationally. It may comfort me. But it does nothing to impact the people or the world around me. 
And the problem with thinking this way is that it makes us totally apathetic towards prayer. prayer why pray if nothing's really going to come from it? And it dismisses also much of the Bible's teaching on prayer. God's word teaches that prayer is powerful and effective. It has an impact. It produces results. Consider what James says about prayer in chapter 5. In this teaching when he says, verse 13, If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. For example, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The picture here is that prayer changes things. James says in verse 13 that if somebody is sick, pray. The implication there is that prayer will have power. It will make an impact. Similarly, it goes on in verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. In verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other that you may be healed. Clearly, there's a causal relationship here. Prayer impacts the outcome. Healing happens through prayer. And also in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its work. And the NIV says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. James says that there is power in prayer. It has an effect. And he goes on to give the example of Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain in the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, earth bore its fruit. James's point is that it did not rain because Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. And then it did rain. Because Elijah prayed that it would rain. So prayer has an effect. It's powerful. It changes things. That's James's point in this whole passage. So to dismiss prayer as being just ineffectual is, is, is an error. But to overinflate the power of prayer and to think that we have some kind of magic formula to get whatever we want, that we can manipulate God, that also is an error. So how do we rightly understand prayer's power? What exactly does prayer do? And if prayer has great power for change, what does it change? Well, clearly prayer has an impact on our own hearts and our connection to God. This is much of what I've been saying so far in this message here, that through prayer our heart is drawn to Christ. Prayer builds our relationship with the Lord as we communicate with him in a personal way. Prayer also helps our spirits when we suffer. It calms us down. It encourages us. The act of praying gives us hope. It also helps to sanctify us into Christ's likeness. It changes us towards maturity. As I pray, my heart becomes soft and more attuned to God's desires for my life and my resolve to live for Him. It is strengthened as I connect more closely with Him. Through prayer, then, we are sanctified. Through prayer, we're made more like Christ because encountering God through prayer, it increases our yearning to live a life in accordance to His Word, to live a righteous life. Prayer, it impacts and it changes us, for sure. It matures us. It grows us. It's one of those most spiritually life-giving things we can do for ourselves, is to pray. But what about things outside of us? What about other people? Do our prayers affect them? Do our prayers affect national elections? Or the weather? Do our prayers cure cancer? Does it end persecution? 
Does it bring people to the faith? What power does prayer have to change things like this? Well, first I have to say, prayer does not change any of those things. God does. God controls the weather. God eradicates or heals cancer. God draws people into a saving faith with him. Prayer does not cause any of those things to happen. God does. But God responds to prayer. When God sees his faithful people praying, he listens. And he responds according to his will. And here now is where there is great mystery in prayer. Prayer doesn't force God to act, but he responds to it if it is in agreement with the request. The Bible provides many examples where God's actions are truly impacted by people's prayers. We see this with Moses. As he pleaded with the Lord not to destroy the Israelites after they began to worship the golden calf, Moses says, please show mercy to your people. And so God responded to Moses' prayer and he showed them mercy. We see this with Jonah. When God declared that he was going to wipe out and judge the Ninevites. And so he sent Jonah there to declare this message of, of judgment. Of course, Jonah took a famous detour, but he eventually got to Nineveh. And there he preached the message of repentance. And the Ninevites responded with pleas of mercy and repentance to God. And God responded to their pleas. He showed them mercy because they prayed. We see this in verses like 2 Chronicles 7, 14. That says, if, if, a conditional clause. If my people who are called by many humble themselves and pray and seek my face. If they do these things and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will respond. I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin and hear their land. 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Here is God responding to the prayers of his people. God responds to prayer. He acts because his people pray. Does this mean he won't heal the cancer if nobody prays for it? Certainly not. God heals people all the time without somebody specifically praying for their healing. Does this mean that God won't save the person if nobody prays for them? No, not at all. God saves people all the time without somebody specifically praying for that person. God will do what he will do. Prayer never directly causes God to change his mind, but he responds to prayers if those prayers are pleasing to his will. I know it seems maybe like I'm being real nuanced there and kind of threading a, threaded a, threading a, a complicated needle, but let me illustrate this for you with a real-life example of how, this, how maybe this works. And this happens, this is an example that happens in my home all the time. It's my kids, myself, we all love ice cream. Love going to Culver's, we like orange leaf, frozen yogurt. Our family is a real sucker for ice cream, for frozen desserts, and personally, I have a bad habit of this. I love to have a little bit of ice cream like right before bed. Like, that's the worst possible time you can eat dessert, right? It's a big reason for this right here, you know? Uh, you don't want to do that. But I, I am always looking for an excuse to have some kind of frozen dessert someplace. But we really don't do that very much. I mean, as a family, my wife and I, we usually have our evenings kind of all planned out. There's not much room for going out for ice cream. We have a regular routine. We have dinner. Uh, we get the kids showers. We have a structured time then doing chores and cleaning up and getting ready for bedtime. And so on any given night, our plans are all laid out. We know what we're going to do. But then, maybe at the conclusion of dinner, our kids come to us with the occasional sweet and sincere request. Can we go out for ice cream? Can we go to Culver's? Can we go to Orange Leaf? 
And they asked not in a demanding tone, but in a humble, honoring tone. Now, going out for ice cream, that wasn't our plan for the evening. But our kids just asked for something. And now we're in a completely different situation than we were before. Our first situation, we were wrapping up dinner. There was no request for ice cream. We were moving towards what we were anticipating. And then situation two, we receive an affectionate plea from our children to go for ice cream. And they're sitting there looking at us with puppy dog eyes, begging us, please, please, can we do this? Two totally different situations. And being just parents, we have to consider the new situation we're in. And maybe our will would be different in this new situation that we find ourselves. Situations are totally different. Our will can be different in both situations. Before they asked, we weren't going to do it. But now they've asked, and they're there staring at us, waiting for a response with this earnest plea. Please, we really want to on their face. Now, sometimes we decide to say no. We're not going to do that because we have other things we have to do, and there's other purposes we have to achieve tonight. But sometimes we do decide to take them out for ice cream, specifically because they've asked to do so. Now, of course, they're asking, what did it do? It gave me an excuse or a motivation to do something that I wanted to do anyways. See, I'm always in the mood for that. And their request just gave me a good reason to act on an innate desire that I have for ice cream. And in all this, I remain completely free and completely independent from their control. They didn't change my mind. They didn't manipulate me to do something I didn't want to do. They didn't convince me of anything. I could have, and I could have easily said yes or no. It was completely free of their request. They just asked, but their request seemed good to me. And it was something that I had in my heart to do already. And so I wanted to respond, and my actions were genuinely influenced by the request because the request changed the fundamental situation I was in. And that is how prayer works. So now going back to the story of Jonah, God truly did want to wipe out the Ninevites. He was bent on judging them. But when they pleaded to him for mercy, the situation on the ground fundamentally changed, and God's will adapted to the change of circumstance. He chose not to wipe them out because they were pleading for mercy, which was something that was in his heart already that he wanted to do for them. But the request changed the circumstance. And so God's will responded in a different way because the situation was different. And prayer has great power for change. But let us be careful to strike the right balance here, not to give prayer too much power or none at all. God still will do what he wants to do regardless of our prayers, but sometimes our prayers give him reason to act. And this should perhaps be the greatest motivation for why we pray. That prayer changes things. Prayer has great power for change. And in Christ, you can come directly before the God of the universe and plead your case. And this person who has perfect knowledge of everything that happens in the entire universe, he knows every conversation that takes place. He, he knows every noise that some random animal makes in the jungles of Africa. He knows about every rock slide that occurs on Mars. This omniscient person will listen attentively to your every word. He won't tire of you coming before him. He will never cast you out of his courts. And sometimes we think about what a privilege it would be to come before a person in a high elected office to meet with a president or a Supreme Court judge or the Queen of England. What a privilege it would be to come before a person like that and for them to listen and to consider our needs. Listen, we get to come before the God of the universe who is infinitely greater than any other person that we can communicate with, who has ability to do anything that we can possibly imagine, and our requests actually have influence with this supreme, indescribable person? They do. 
In prayer, you can come before the most amazing being in the universe who controls the orbits of planets, who directs comets and asteroids with a word, who maintains this fire in the sun, who can heal any disease, who can conquer any adversary. And that same person whose power is unmatched and unchallengeable hears and responds to your requests if they are pleasing to him. Christian, do you understand the indescribable privilege and the immense opportunity here. The opportunity is before you every moment of every day for every need, large and small, for every life-shattering event, for every trivial frustration. This mighty, awesome God beckons you into his courts. He invites you in. He wants you to come to him that he might listen and hear and consider your request, no matter how great or how small that need might be. When you don't, when you know you have this opportunity and you don't pray, that is folly to the highest order. I cannot think of a better way to say it. Listen, you and I, we are fools if we don't avail ourselves of this amazing, impactful opportunity to pray? What if a person had access to the greatest power in the universe and that person chose not to avail themselves of it? They faced trials, they faced burdens, and an incredible help, it was immediately available to them in the most uh, perfect and convenient way possible, yet they ignored it and did not access that help in any way. What would we call that person? You'd call that person a fool. You would call them a blatantly irresponsible fool. Let us not be those kind of people. Let us not be that kind of church. Let us not neglect this opportunity that we have. Let us not forget this responsibility that we have to be advocates for righteousness, to care for one another in our world through prayer, to pray for the growth of God's kingdom. So why should we pray? There are many reasons for it. Here they are again. We are commanded to do it. It's one way that we worship God. It connects us with him. It helps us through our trials and hardships. But we should also pray because prayer is the single most powerful resource in our entire lives. We have access to no greater force for change through prayer. Because prayer taps into the power of God himself of which there is no limit. And while we don't always get what we want from him, Because he always knows best. Sometimes his response is not in accordance to what we ask because he has a wider view. He's accomplishing much more than just our desires. We don't always get what we want from him, but we can always ask. And God might just respond to our requests and help us in a way that no one or nothing else can. So let us not be fools and miss out on this incredible privilege and opportunity, and responsibility. Let us pray continually, steadfastly, earnestly, faithfully. We have a need to pray. We have a responsibility to pray. We have immense opportunity to pray. There is so much power in it for our own sake, for our own joy, our own comfort, and for the sake of everyone and everything else around us. Let us pray. Would you join with me now?